Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome in. This is our deep dive episode on Thursdays, and we are discussing Digital Turbine, tickers APPS. But first, I want to ask, Ryan and Ian actually saw each other in person the other day, and they had a nice little golf match, so how'd it go? I lost. You lost? I was talking big last week, but no. Ian? Ian, I think he hit, what, two strokes? Yeah, I, I beat him out by two strokes, so I won this round. Hopefully, it's not the last round we play together, but... um Good start for the record. It was yeah. his home field. He'd played the course before. Yeah. He knew yeah. the course. Home field advantage. I understand. All right. Well, we're talking digital turbine, though. So, Ryan, you want to introduce the listeners to the company? Yeah. So, I'll talk about what they do. And I think I'm going to start off this section from now on with just the first line from the 10K every time. Because it's either, like, way too vague and oddly inspiring or it's very descriptive. So Digital Turbine, this is actually somewhat useful. It says Digital Turbine through its subsidiaries simplifies content discovery and delivers it directly to the device, which isn't super specific. But basically if you're setting up an Android, let's say, or a smartphone that I don't think they have, they don't have iPhone as one of their, or iOS as one of their customers. But uh, if you're setting up your Android, you'd be offered and you're, so you've gotten it out of its package and you're setting it up like the operating system part, you'd be offered a bunch of potential apps at the start. Digital Turbine is allowing the app developers to promote their apps in that process. And there's also some preloaded ones onto the software as well. Am I getting all this right? Okay. And then um, they have partners like Samsung, the Trade Desk, AT&T's advertising subsidiary, which is called Xander. Um, So the real value prop here if you're a shareholder is essentially their real estate. Um, they have very valuable digital space and I don't think there's any significant competitors. I think they have a huge market share. Uh, when I was researching that there's, uh, I couldn't find any real competitors. There's some close ones, but no. Okay. And so then they also allow manufacturers to monetize their devices in other ways as well. So there's uh, non-dynamic installs grew over 400% year over year. So non-dynamic installs, that's, that's like, uh, so one of the things they had is single tap. So it's anything that's not when you're setting up your phone. So uh, Ian, I, we talked about this on the golf course, but, uh, I believe the single tap feature is when like a bar comes down from the top. That's a new app. That's essentially an ad and you can just click it and add it immediately. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. They, they, they basically say, you know, if someone goes to your website, then they'll, they'll have a banner ad that says download our app. You can click on that and it'll start downloading it immediately to your phone. And they just say it reduces a lot of the friction because if you had to click on the link that takes you to the app store, there may be up to seven actual clicks that you have to make before the app is downloaded on your phone instead of just the single tap. And then one other thing that they mentioned about the single tap is that it, um, you know, when you go to the app store, then it shows all your competitors apps as well. And so this just reduces, you know, they say the conversion rate on that is just a lot higher than links that send people to the app store. So no, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll get into the history though. The company was originally founded in 1998 uh, and they've had six different names since inception, which uh, that's a red flag for me. 
big yeah. red flag. <laughs> a lot of pivots. A Decide lot of pivots. on a name. Yeah, Digital Turbine isn't even that good, but it's <laughs> Don't okay. tell them that or else they'll change it. It's okay. But uh, and anyway, they've had sort of a muddled – it's like a weird history. So from 2005 to 2008, they were a public shell company with no actual operations. But over the years, the company has made tons of acquisitions, one of which was Digital Turbine. And eventually, Digital Turbine just became their primary business, and they changed their name to Digital Turbine uh, in 2015. They also changed the ticker with it. I think prior to this, they were called Mandalay Digital Services or something like that. Yeah, subsidiary Mandalay Industries, but is that it? Yeah, and CEO is Bill Stone, who I believe has been there since 2011. Okay. But yeah. Right, yeah. Ian will probably hit on that okay. in more in depth. I'll hit the industry and landscape. It's in a weird industry, as Ryan described. Um, it's businesses placing apps onto phones and getting, you know, apps into the hands of users, um, or not the hands, just onto their screens is kind of their vague idea of what they want to do. They don't really have any main competitors outside of maybe if someone went direct. I know there's examples of Facebook doing this in Southeast Asia. In Africa, where they work with the manufacturers to have Facebook pre-installed in everyone's phone, um, which is kind of undercutting what Digital Turbine does, but a lot of the smaller apps really wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, so Digital Turbine can provide that marketplace for them. Uh, I can't find any direct numbers on how large this industry is. And in reality, I think it's really the revenue that Digital Turbine's bringing in because they're building their own industry themselves. Just some facts on the smartphone market, though. There's 3.5 billion smartphone users worldwide. They upgrade on like a two to five year cycle. Um, so they should have a consistent market opportunity. And internationally, the majority of smartphone users are not iPhones. So um, I think the Android has 80% market share there, or maybe it's 60 or 70%. So a lot of them are the potential customers that Digital Turbine could work with. They just had to start signing on more um, manufacturers, more carriers and like you know people like samsung at&t people like that uh i tried to find some competitors um trade desk might be a competitor but they also work with they're them. also a partner yeah they're kind of they're not competing with them directly right now but trade desk is similar where they're doing a lot of those dynamic mobile ads and stuff like that uh, maybe it's an acquisition candidate but there's no one that directly competes with them yeah and i you said you have no tam estimates or total addressable market estimates Nothing. we no. don't really we don't really care that much about addressable markets. There's probably a few cases where it really matters, but like good management expands their TAM and a lot of bad companies like tout their addressable market. Like it's this thing yeah. that should drive the stock when it shouldn't. So yeah, they're really building their own demand. Right. Uh, Ian, yeah. what do you have? Yeah. Before I dive into management, I'll just make one comment on competition real quick. I think like you guys were saying, there's not a whole lot of direct competitors, um, one thing they do recognize is that they are competing with Google and Facebook to some extent as the major advertising players. And so they have to attract advertisers away from spending their budgets on things like Google ads and Facebook ads, and instead spending it on some of their types of advertisements, which I think we'll dive in a little bit later, how that may be working for them. But um, they really, which, which, which tells me, even though we don't have a idea of what their TAM is, it tells me that they believe it's pretty big because if you're going to say that some of our competitors are Facebook and Google, um, that's a pretty big market. Right. I'll go ahead and dive into the management now though. Um, like Ryan mentioned, the CEO is Bill Stone. He has some previous experience at Qualcomm, Verizon, Vodafone, and that's kind of true of a lot of the management team. They have a lot of industry experience between Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, Nextel, Yahoo, Sony, just a lot of um, a lot of experience in this type of space. 
Uh, Bill Stone has been with the company since 2012. Um, he was actually with Digital Turbine when it was a subsidiary of Mandalay Group and then became the CEO of Mandalay Group and now it's back to Digital Turbine. So he's been, he's been around, the, the bottom line is he's been around since 2012. The management team owns about 6% of the company, um, which not amazing, not horrible. I'd like to see that number up over 10% just to know that they do have a lot of skin in the game, but 6% is um, it's still respectable. Uh, there's quite a few funds that own major chunks of the company. Fidelity funds own about 11% of the company. BlackRock has about 6%, Vanguard about 5%. So quite a bit of institutional buy-in. Um, and then they, one other thing I'll note before we move on is they have a seven member board, which I generally think that's a good thing to have a smaller board, not one of these huge, crazy 20 member boards that really doesn't add very much. Um, this is a seven member board with a lot of industry experience on it as well. And so that seems to be somewhat key to their business is just all the relationships they have with um, original equipment manufacturers and with the uh, phone carriers and that those types of relationships. And they seem to have those throughout the management team and the board of directors. Right. Yeah. I'd agree that under 10 board of directors is usually a good sign. Um, I'll hit into the valuation here. The enterprise value is 3.24 billion tickers a PPS, which just spells out apps. Uh, which, you know, makes sense Great because, ticker. yeah, good ticker, Fantastic of, ticker, good ticker, bad name, uh, EV to sales 15.8. And that is trailing. Uh, if they can keep up their solid revenue growth, that should compress, um, in this type of market for these growth stocks, it seems solid. It seems like they could even have potentially go into 20, but again, an EV to sales of 15.8 is always expensive. Um, you're, you definitely got to pay it for that growth. Uh, trailing EV to EVA does 97 which is, you know, high, uh, but they're kind of on the verge of getting towards their true profit margins. So it's not the best indicator. You kind of got to look at the combination of gross margins, the growth in EBITDA margin and the growth in, you know, their cash flow margins. They have no dividend as you probably expected. And then weighted shares outstanding have gone up about 10 to 15% in the last 12 months. And the, they made an acquisition, a fairly large one for mobile posse, which I'll talk about later. I think that's we maybe we'll all talk about it later, but that was an all cash deal. So this is kind of a standard year. They're uh, expensing a lot of things with stock. Um, and that's just something people have to consider. EV to gross profit of 37.6, definitely expensive there. Um, and then I'll head it on over to Ryan. You want to talk about earnings? Yeah. Um, so like you said, revenue was growing fast. It grew 116% in the second quarter. That was up to 70.9 million. But a lot of that came from the acquisition. So the application media revenue, which was sort of their uh, organic revenue, grew 50% year over year. But then they gained $21.8 in revenue from their acquisition of Mobile Posse. Uh, they had gap net income of $0.4 million adjusted for the acquisition. So basically break it even on a profitability standpoint. $12.1 in operating income or an operating margin of around 17%. Uh, Non-gap free cash flow, 21.5 million. That was really good versus 5.7 million from the prior year. So they're looking at roughly 30% free cash flow margins. Um, gap gross margins are 42%. So their conversion from gross margins to operating margins really isn't that bad. Uh, they're not pouring that much into operating expenses operating expenses, which I found impressive. Um, their application media software was installed on more than 60 million devices during the second quarter and is now more than 500 million devices total. So they do have a huge customer base. It's what now? Yeah, more than 500 million. So that's a ton. Um, 
stock-based compensation as a percentage of revenue was only around 3%, so not terrible. But you said shares expanded, what, 10 to 15%? Over the last 12 months. So I guess you're kind of looking at the future number that could show that they're getting a little more conservative on that and maybe the share dilution won't be as bad over time. All right, Ian, uh, want to go, what's the next one? Balance sheet? Yeah, get into balance sheet. So they've got $33 million in cash, um, about $20 million in debt. So net cash position, good to see. They do have a little bit of debt, but nothing too crazy. Um, the thing I want to point out, though, is they have goodwill of $70 million, which is related to some of these acquisitions that they've made, as um, Brett mentioned, the mobile posse one. That's about a third of total assets, which means that if they do have to write that down at some point, because... If the acquisition doesn't go as well as they hope and they, they have to write down the goodwill to say that it's um, a little bit, that the, that the acquisition they made is actually not as valuable as they thought it was, um, that would hit earnings and could, um, especially with a number that high, could fairly significantly hit earnings. So it's something to keep in mind. It's, you know, a little bit, as we like to say, a yellow flag, just something to know about. Um, they have an under one current ratio which some people might say, oh, they have a liquidity problem, but that's actually um, something I kind of like to see because it suggests that they're efficient with their cash and that they do a good job of balancing accounts receivable and accounts payable. And so they don't just have a bunch of excess cash laying around that's not being used. So in my mind, it doesn't look to be any sort of liquidity crisis. Yeah, I think that's a, putting a good spin on it because as long as you have, if you can generate enough cash flow during the year and you have uh, at Recurring least some, revenue. Yeah. yeah, at least some cash, it's like, maybe it's not worth having some really healthy, I'm putting healthy in air quotes here, balance sheet if you're not actually using that to reinvest into the business. Yeah, and you gotta think about it. If they have a recurring revenue nature, which I think 40% of the revenue is recurring now, you could probably run a lighter balance sheet. But if you're someone like, I guess the biggest example is maybe a video game company, a lot lumpier, you may wanna be a conservative balance sheet. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, second half of the show, we're going to start off with competitive advantages. Uh, Ryan, you want to go first? Sure. So they've obviously cut deals with a lot of the manufacturers and now clearly have very valuable digital real estate. I mean, I just, when I first heard about this business, they get to basically advertise apps that people install on their phone as soon as they get it. That seems like yeah. a really, really valuable spot to be. I think Scott Galloway was the first one to coin the uh, iPhone home or the iPhone bottom bar as most valuable real estate in the world. I think this is valuable as well. Um, and potentially even more valuable being that it's on more devices. Yeah. And if you're not an iPhone user, you kind of got to get into the mind of, of everyone that's using Android. You, if you are using iPhone, you haven't experienced this yet. And it's kind of, I mean, I know Ryan has an iPhone, but I have the Android. Ian, you have, have you? I have an iPhone. Thing? Okay. But I know the experience with this is that you have like a whole page of basically things that are preloaded. I had Uber preloaded and then I already was a user. So I, I when I use Uber or like when it's pre-downloaded, when I click on it and then re-enter my login information, that's valuable to me. And it's also 
way, a way for Digital Turbine to get money. All right. Yeah. And right. I was going to say, the sort of the competitive advantage there is it's got to be really hard to get that deal done with the manufacturers. Yes. And yeah. I'm not sure how many, if there's room to have multiple people or multiple companies like Digital Turbine doing the same thing. There might only be room for one. Mm-hmm. All right, Ian, uh, what do you got? Yeah, to kind of piggyback right off of what Ryan just said there, um, I think their competitive advantage is all these established relationships they have. Um, they have relationships with advertisers, um, with these equipment manufacturers, with the, the Android manufacturers, and with the phone companies. And so it, it just really seems like it's creating a hard um, mountain to climb for startups to gain all these relationships and work their way into it. Um, they mentioned in some of their materials that they have 70% of the top grossing apps on the Google play store using digital turbine in some way or another. And so that includes, um, Amazon, Walmart, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, King games, Hulu, Starbucks, like the list just goes on and on They're They're, they've really captured a large, you know, I don't want to throw around the monopoly word too lightly, but they do seem to have developed a little bit of a monopoly here, which, um, you know, as Peter Thiel would say is <laughs> something he looks for in, in investing in companies. Yeah, definitely. All right. I'll hit mine. Uh, it is, it, this is kind of a weird one, but the market might be, you know, small people are like, yeah, maybe there's not the big enough market opportunity for something like this. Although they are expanding into other options like that single tap stuff, but that might help them not attract large competition. So a company like the big tech companies, they wouldn't really go after this, even though it's something they could do rather easily just because it's what it's less than a billion in revenue and that's not going to move the needle for them. So it's kind of a nice Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, uh, where they can still be large enough that digital turbine can be a good investment, but the competition is going to be staying away, at least anyone that's larger than them. Yeah. What do you have for future growth opportunities? Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about um, life of device uh, products. So providing value to users throughout the life of the device and not just on that startup because that's when typically they've made a lot of their revenue is preloading apps on or through the startup screens but they've developed things um, whether it's on the home screen toolbar web portals that creates new advertising space for them that lasts throughout the life of the device and so it doesn't just it's not just a one-shot thing for advertisers they can actually create value um, for many years for as long as the people have these androids okay yeah i agree with that i mean the 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 thing that gets them to more recurring revenue nature is not having that one-time dynamic install uh well through the life of the user it just helps stabilize that revenue you're not tied to like the market cycles of people getting new phones yeah and i would i would also go on to say the future growth opportunities for this business is that that's a huge factor because Mm -hmm. the revenue diversification away from just purely install apps once you get your phone is gonna determine the the frigi- the fra- like how fragile this business is because if they can get away from like Ian said uh, if they can get away from just having the advertisements once someone gets the device that makes them able to stay around stay around for a much longer time yeah I'd agree all right Ryan do you want to hit yours yeah so I guess that tailors right into mine which is connected TV Bill Stone stated on their latest conference call. Uh, He said, expanding devices beyond smartphones is an exciting opportunity for us and a natural extension of our offerings. We continue to make positive progress on our television offerings as we discussed on our last earnings call and look forward to those launches occurring in 2021. 
seems like a logical next step for them. And once again, that gets them out from under the heel of potentially big tech who owns the devices. Well, I guess Android, Android owns the devices, let's say, but Google owns Android. So they are under big tech's heel essentially, but if they can get away from that, they're not. Yeah, and then they're working with someone like what Roku, and I guess some of the connected TV is uh, big tech again. Big tech again, if there's YouTube TV, Chromecast, and Amazon Fire TV, but it's less. It's less big tech. Yeah. What do you have? Uh, the acquisition of Mobile Posse. Uh, it fits really well with their current company. You know, Mobile Posse provides mobile operators the ability to message and advertise their customers while also providing content on the home screen. Um, you guys aren't Android users, but sometimes that type of stuff does pop up on the home screen or the locked screen um, where it's a little bit annoying, um, kind of like a Google ad or a Google AdSense ad on a website where you're like, oh, this is clickbaity, but it, it must work. So they may want to balance the ability to you know, monetize users like that, but not in a kind of a clickbaity way that doesn't, you know, it, it, those, I don't know, it's just a little scammy. Well, yeah. when I've seen it, but yeah. uh, apparently it reaches 20 million users per month. It cost them $66 million and was only about one-time sales. They made this in March. So I think it was a strong acquisition there, especially because it, the business has, I think, 50% gross margins. They were positive net income. It, it seems like a great accretive acquisition at a solid price. Um, and they also have revenue share agreements with T-Mobile, Cricket, and Metro PCS. Uh, don't have the big dogs, Verizon and AT&T, but maybe Digital Turbine could help them get there. Um, yeah, you guys, any thoughts on the acquisition? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of one of my highlights was that acquisition. I mean, it generated 20, uh, Mobile Posse generated, I think, 21.9 million in revenue this quarter alone. That acquisition was made during desperate times, essentially in March mm -hmm. for three times their quarterly revenue. That's really, really good in my mind because I'm guessing they have high margins as an advertising business. Um, it makes me wonder if there's something like underlying about the business, whether it was there like a ton of debt or did Mobile Posse just think they were going to get crushed in March because uh, they thought everyone was going to cut their advertising budgets. Mm, I didn't see anything on that. Ian, did you see anything on that? If not, I didn't see anything on that specifically, but um, kind of as Ryan was saying, I like to see Digital Turbine being aggressive here and taking, I like, I like those companies, especially in this COVID environment that saw COVID and used it as an opportunity to grow the business and didn't shell up. Right. Um, and this looked like a clear example of that to me. Yeah. I'll get into my highlights and lowlights then. Um, the mobile posse acquisition obviously seems like a good one at a great price. They started they've started showing promising revenue diversification now, which like I said, I think is sort of the thesis for the business that they can get away from just the smartphones. My lowlights though, for the time being, it feels like they're at the mercy of the manufacturers. And this seems, maybe it's the whole Roku dilemma of being a walled garden. Like some, I guess it's anti-competitive if Google were to do this on Android. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why they haven't, but doesn't it seem like Google, if they decided to do it, since they own the actual hardware itself, could just get rid of Digital Turbine easily? I'm sure they know who Digital Turbine is and they could buy them out for $7 billion and totally control the market. But in this antitrust environment where they're in these hearings and they're, there's what, they're getting sued by possibly the federal government, then maybe they're like, all right, well, we can't do that right now. Yeah, I guess that was sort of, it just feels fragile. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, I'll go to mine. Uh, I mean, they're profitable while they're growing this quickly, which I think is very impressive. Not a lot of companies can say that, uh, at least in this market environment. Uh, they're growing the number of devices. The mobile, ac- mobile posse acquisition fits. You know, they had 400% growth in non-dynamic installs. Some of that was inorganic because of the acquisition, but that's still a very impressive number. And I think the dynamic installs a year ago were 80% of revenue, and now it's down to 57%. That's a great change. Uh, because if you're relying on just those installs, again, we, we said it before, it just makes the business more fragile. Uh, lowlights is just the one big thing. They're at the mercy of the large partners. I couldn't find any other lowlights. Maybe it doesn't fit Apple's ethos um, and they're going to lose. They're not going to, I don't think they're going to get the iPhone market. Um, the Apple right. One, right? There, there is a part to this business that feels like it's infringing on like maybe annoying. It feels yeah. like, yeah. Like they shouldn't be able to just push stuff on customers this easily. And I think iOS is trying to avoid that. Yeah. Some of the products seem like they're providing value to customers. Some of them feel scammy. Um, Ian, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'll actually, I'll dive into my lowlights first because it kind of touches on some of that. Just like you said, I think some of their products definitely seem um, a little bit scammy. Like it just, you don't want to, you don't really want all these random apps on your phone when you start your phone. And it's the type of thing that, you know, I could never imagine Apple doing something like that. It's just not part of Apple's right. culture and like, said, Apple like Apple's music, you know. <laughs> only, only Apple music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I think it, it's just going to, it'll be interesting to see how much they can develop out of that. And that's why some of the life of the device things is kind of interesting to me because some of those seem to be more, um, potentially helpful to users and beneficial advertisements rather than just, you've got a hundred apps on your phone now and you're going to delete 80 of them and keep 20 of them. And we're going to make a little bit of money off of that. So um, some of the highlights for me though, is like you said, strong revenue growth, especially given COVID when a lot of people were worried about advertising dollars. And I think this goes to show that one, they were in industries that were slightly better, right? Apps aren't really going to take a big decrease due to COVID for most apps. Um, but I think it also shows that advertisers more than ever were concerned with ROI. And so um, Digital Turbine must have been providing good ROI to these advertisers. They didn't want to waste any money during COVID time. Um, they have a connected management team like we've talked about, all these built-in relationships. And I think they are right about digital real estate being super valuable. Um, I think that's a true statement. And it's just yet to be seen exactly how much they capitalize on that and if they can be, become really a long-standing great company. Yeah. What about, uh, I, I guess, guess that, or go ahead. I was gonna say that's sort of, it's a highlight and a low light because that's a competitive advantage is they have that digital real estate, but the real estate actually belongs to the manufacturers. So it's like, they are, they are a digital sub leaser, I guess. <laughs> right. It's it. almost to, to maybe draw the analogy too far. They're almost land leasing the, um, yeah. the digital real estate. They're saying, yeah, we'll split this with you and we're going to build some, you know, infrastructure on top of it. We're going to build some buildings on top of it. Some of these different, um, types of ways that consumers can interact with us, but then we're splitting, um, we're splitting the, the revenue with you and that keeps their gross margins quite a bit lower than a lot of these software companies that we look at. So yeah, that's why that EV to gross profit was so much higher, even though they are a software company. And yeah, it is like, you know, Google and Apple have the safer relationship because they basically own the land and they don't have to rely on building out a platform on the land. They can be like, well, we own it. We're just going to do a revenue agreement. It's just kind of extra juice for us. Yeah. Are we more or less interested? 
I'll go. I'll go first. I'm less definitely less interested. Uh, I think the business is solid. I worry about the scammy nature. I worry about the being at the mercy of these well-capitalized competitors, the biggest businesses in the world. And then I worry about the valuation. I know we looked at them last January. This was before a lot of things have happened since then. And the valuation was down at a five to seven range um, of an EV to sales. I worry that they'll come back down to there um, over time. And now they could grow into it, but there's not, the floor is pretty low on this thing. If, you know, growth slows, there's not much margin of safety. Yeah. I, I would say I'm less interested too. It's kind of a gray area for me because they are in an environment where most companies own the stack. So like we were talking about how the, yeah, the iPhone doesn't do this, but they install their own apps on their iOS software. Yeah. Like they are digital turbine is essentially plugging into one piece of a stack that could be owned by Google outright or Android. And so it, it, that's just the, how fragile the business is gives me some concern. Uh, the growth is obviously impressive, but could the rug be pulled out from under them? That's the big concern. Yeah. All right, Ian. Yeah. I'd say I'm slightly less interested overall. Um, you know, for a lot of the reasons that you guys said, I think one thing that was a, was a, um, encouraging for me is I first looked at this business back in August and there are things I like about it and things I don't like about it, much of what we've talked about today. But I think it has shown um, some good revenue growth in this last quarter. And I think that's encouraging to people that are um, on board with this company and think that it can grow a lot is they have, they have done a good job the last couple of quarters on really capitalizing and being aggressive in these times. Um, and so it's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, I'd say overall, just a little bit less interest, interested. Yeah, yeah. They've also, they've been around for a while now. And if, I guess if they were going to get crushed, Google could have done this a long time ago. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe, you know, if they can keep up the strong revenue growth, it should be fine, but we do feel like it is maybe, potentially fragile and it's potential. It's definitely at a, uh, premium valuation. Maybe the lower gross margins is keeping some competitors away. Yeah, but they actually have expanded that from 32% to 40% over the last year. So a lot of strong gross margin expansion there. If that continues, could be some you know good stuff. I think part of it was the acquisition, but yeah. Anything else? We good? That's it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we CCM. Yeah, well, I, we're going to, we forgot to do it at the beginning. We'll probably maybe add something in for the audio there. But yeah, make sure to use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at seven investing. That means it's only $7 your first month. You check it out. It's awesome. You don't have to lock in for a year. You basically get almost like a free trial, but you're helping us out. You're helping them out. Um, that's it. Yeah. Remember we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time.